You are listening to Redefining Rural, a podcast dedicated to celebrating, elevating, and changing the way we think about rural education in the state of Colorado and beyond. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Redefining Rural podcast. We have our third in the series around the power of in-person learning with one of my all-time favorite superintendents and individuals in the world, Shyla Adolph, out of the RE1 Valley School District. I don't know. I know I, my, my perspective on Shyla and everything she does is so off because I've known her forever, and I just think she's an amazing leader, an amazing lady. What are your thoughts on this episode? What stood out for you, Kirk? Yeah, I, I think what I'm excited for everybody to see is is the really the how e- extraordinary a leader can be, and the fact that Shyla had to take on during this pandemic a whole new district. She transferred from a, a smaller district, Bethune, out in eastern Colorado, to the Valley. Um, school district in Sterling. And so she continued her amazing work as a superintendent in a new district during a very trying time. And so I think what's fun in this episode is to really get to hear her journey, what she's done in smaller and larger systems, and how that impact really made a difference for the kids in Sterling, Colorado during this year. And before we dig into it, once again, I just want to give a shout out to our outstanding sponsor, Generation Schools Network. Thank you, Generation Schools, for everything you do for us and for rural school districts all over the state. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our latest episode of Redefining Rural Podcast. I'm here with my two partners in crime, Daniela Platt and Kirk Banghart, and we are joined today by... I may say this every time we have a superintendent on the call, but this time I mean one of my absolute favorite rural superintendents, um, Shyla Adolph, who is currently in the Sterling School District. Shyla is one of the first superintendents the city girl went out to visit um, with her 69 kids when she was in the Bethune School District. I hope she gets the chance to talk to us today about some of the amazing stuff she does around student leadership, or she facilitates her kids in doing around student leadership. But Shyla, we want to thank you so much for being here and taking time out of your crazy day. We know it has been crazy. Um, tell us first, before we dig in, tell us a little bit about Sterling. Tell us about you, where you came from. Talk about Bethune, because I think our listeners will be intrigued to know that such small, small districts are out there. Um, okay. So I'll turn it over to you and welcome. Well, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Um, it feels a little awkward to like sort of talk about myself, but... Um, I actually grew up most of my life in Commerce City, Colorado, and then what we relocated, I blame it affectionately on my brother who was getting sort of in trouble, um, out to my grandparents in Eastern Colorado as high school students and swore I would never stay, end up marrying my high school sweetheart, been together 25 years, and I was at Bethune actively involved in education and leadership for 22 of those years. And recently we chose to move our family to Valley School District, which is pretty cool and unique because there's a larger buildings here in Sterling. And then there's a smaller building called Kalichi. So it was sort of a perfect blend of professional growth and change, as well as doing some things for our stu- our own children that we were excited about. You know, my kids were um, Bethune. I love it and I adore it. And it's a small rural school that will always be a big part of my heart. But for my son, who was becoming a freshman, we were going to Stratton for FFA and um, baseball, football, wrestling. So my husband said, I want my son, our son to go to school with his friends. So we're going to look at something a little bit bigger where there's more opportunity. So that's the why I've had a lot of people say, why would you leave somewhere you've been for 22 years? And it is sad, but it's been exciting. 
Um, definitely don't recommend changing leadership jobs during COVID. Uh, that's been uh, building relationships is really important to me. And that's <laughs> been sort of a strange way to do it. But uh, even the lack of ability to connect with people, but also just the, you know, adverse conditions that we're working under as leaders right now has made it a challenge. But I think it's pretty awesome that we're, we're surviving and navigating this. I think our district, we have 2,100 students, um, just over 2,100. So it's unique. We're one of the larger rural schools, I think, in terms of our demographics. Um, we have a high sped population. We're designating about 19%, which is a target of our strategic plan to look into that and see where we're going. And then really a major sort of diverse, uh, really low income students to really high income students, a blend from kids from ag community versus um, some other populations. So it's an interesting mix here and we're excited to dig in. And I feel like since Christmas, um, we, to me, I sort of tell people we already strategic planned and mitigated COVID. Uh, we kept our kids in-person learning from the very beginning. We set that as a precedent. And I think for 2,100 kids and never having to shut down one single building, we, we were winning at that. So, Awesome. So we, we definitely want to hear more from you about the, the power of in-person learning that you've seen as you guys have stayed in session at Valley School District. So I'd love to hear what you guys have done and what you see as the impact of in-person learning. Well, I think you ask a good question and why is the most important factor. And I think last spring, we all sort of learned some lessons on learning loss and just the other social factors that our school districts are very important for our students. And it broke my heart from March until the end of the year, you know, to say bye goodbye to our students. Oh, I have to pause. It makes me emotional. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, we said goodbye at spring break and not having them return again and just seeing their struggles of accessing food, you know, just the mental health piece. I'm sorry, I'm going to be your worst um, participant. But anyway, <laughs> so really all summer, everybody kept saying, oh, you know, you're gonna have to go back remote. And I just thought, no, we're not doing that. It's not what's best for our kids. And I'm a firm believer that you have to learn how to live amongst things. And I think that's been the biggest challenge with this one, because it's health related. And I shared that earlier with Rural Alliance is, I'm always a person that likes to sort of buck guidance if I don't feel like it's right for my students. But this one's been very challenging when you're talking about people's health. You know, it's a lot different challenging testing or curriculum or standards versus this really could hurt somebody or potentially their parents or our staff. Are they safe? You know, those kinds of things. So I forced some pretty intense planning, which I got a lot of pushback for just, you know, politically. I wonder sometimes if we would have had COVID pandemic happen in a non-election year, what that would have done. Um, just in our response and how we navigated it. But, you know, we were matched with politics. We were matched with a lot of different mindsets. And we basically decided we're going to rethink schedules. We cohorted kids. We required masking. Um, we're currently, we've already been doing rapid testing for staff and students. We required it for any extended day opportunities. And literally for the last, about right before Christmas break, we've gotten it down to where our kids are generally never quarantined more than five days. Um, we're following CDC guidelines on rapid testing. If they have a, an exposure, we're limiting the amount of quarantine time. And so far, it's paying off. I really do think our buildings are the safest place for our kids to be. And that was the other mindset. Not only are they accessing learning, but they're accessing food security. They're accessing a teacher that cares about me. Um, just activities that help their mindset. You know, their mental health is really important. And some of our kids depend on us for almost everything, you know, their food, their shelter, their place to go for eight hours a day. That's, you know, a protected place. 
So I am very pleased with our team. I, I mean, it's taken a wealth of heartache and a wealth of frustration, but our staff really has rallied. And I think for the most part, even though people still get frustrated with our restrictions, they're still ultimately glad kids are in-person learning. They're like, okay, we'll, we'll survive that just to make sure that they're in school. So it is hard sometimes to hear like the governor talk though, like we're going to get kids back to school. And I'm like, oh really? We did that in August. So yeah, that is <laughs> one of the biggest the consistent oversights <laughs> from the state. And the three of us raise it on every call we're on with people when they do that. It is, it's frustrating and it's, yeah, points to a lack of recognition, which whatever you're doing amazing things. Tell us about your teachers. How are they doing? How are they holding up and how are you supporting them? Well, you know, we tried to do some small things, but I would say that's probably one of the biggest struggles is morale is lower this year just for everybody. I think COVID fatigue is real. And, you know, we are already entering a time that I would, I always told teachers when I trained them that, you know, from January to March, it's just really long. It's a dry time of year. It's hard. You're inside too much. You're not getting to access the, you know, you kind of get through the holidays and then it's a letdown. And, uh, that's just magnified. I think people are tired of, they want to see their families. They want to go do things. They're tired of being tested. They're tired of restrictions changing. And I really think one of the things that's beat up the teachers the most is just the, the fluidity of the changes as you move on the dial or as you things happen, you know, teachers tend to be sort of organized, structured people, and they want it to be routine and then it changes. And so it's like, well, last week it was this, well, now it's this. And as we move to more restrictive, I think that was definitely difficult for them. We started pretty restrictive, but then Logan County was in the red. Um, what we were the first County to be red for several weeks, um, even out of Denver and Boulder County. So, um, we just sort of had this tough kind of low to hole ho for October and November. And we went into Thanksgiving, very unhealthy. We had, um, we have just over 400 staff members and we had about 50, um, out with COVID that were actually sick themselves. And we had to run a couple of days on hybrid and, you know, just strategically like rally, you know, I'm going to teach this class and then I'm going to cover this class. And we had teachers that were sick teaching with COVID from home, you know, they're still remote. They were able to do it. So we've beat them up for sure. And we've tried to do some positive things. Like we've offered a $500 stipend per quarter to make up for the extra pressure of remote learning. And I don't think people really understand the work a teacher puts into being synchronous, which means I have remote learners on, and I have kids in my classroom. It's challenging. So we've been rethinking professional development. How can we support those teachers? And then um, just, you know, trying to praise their efforts. I think that's the biggest thing. I truly believe if you know anybody in education, this is the year to give them an attagirl attaboy because it's been tough. (laughs) Good. So um, when you, when you look at what you guys have done and accomplished this year under under these circumstances, what do you hope to move forward into the the next school years of learning that has taken place that you think benefits your students and that you'd like to see continued on and reproduced? You know, we call them COVID keepers now. So I've told the staff that we're going to go away from being reactive, which is what we've been from March, I say, till December and more into proactive starting in January. And that's been a fun conversation, even to ask student leaders, principals, teachers, you know, what are some of the things? And it it's actually a wide variety, you know, like the number of discipline referrals from the lunchroom and 
playground because we have kids more spread out. Can we keep that schedule? You know, just not kids on top of each other, things that we were forced to do. Um, also hallways. I know that sounds strange, but they want less students out in hallways because they feel like the burden of bullying and um, some of the barriers that come with high school kids having that sort of freedom. And actually the kids even mentioned it. The student leadership kids said, you know, it's nice not to have so much drama. Like it feels less um, peer stress. Um, the only thing I think they hate a little bit is they don't know each other as well because they're cohorted. They don't get to see each other as often. So I am looking for a way to sort of bridge that. Like, can we keep that same um, more? To me, it's just a safer environment. They're describing a safer environment to me, like one that we don't have to mitigate or worry about, you know, how kids are being treated or are they being bullied or um, any sort of assault. But um Anyway, I, I told the kids, maybe we just rethink, you know, how we get to know each other and support each other. I think that's a keeper is just looking at those structures. We're also talking about doing like a freshman camp for our larger building here at Sterling. Um, kids just feel intimidated by that building. So would they be able to come over in a different, more cohorted fashion? So that's sort of a transition year into a larger high school, which I thought was great feedback. And actually that came from the kids. It wasn't even driven. And then we've gone to, we used to do this in Bethune, but full uh, credit crediting and at semester so they could get a full credit class. So I, I look for that to stay, especially for some of our at or above student performers that want to maybe accelerate through curriculum and take concurrent enrollment, or they want to graduate early or take a different pathway. I think we'll probably keep those things. And then I think staff-wise, honestly, and students, the technology has been a huge blessing because we were able to use our CRF funds to really change the entire dynamics. You know, we've all talked about blended learning for a long time and getting kids one-to-one. Um, as of right now, we were blessed to get an additional 450000 with the CRF monies we requested and were funded for our full proposal. And I thought that was a blessing because we have now interactive TVs in every classroom going up the last two weeks. Um, every student has access to a device. We have hotspots because, of course, Internet's a challenge for a large number of our student population. Um, so just partnering with Verizon and Viero to get hotspots and access to that. But I think it's really um, gotten us over this, like, how do we connect home and school versus just complaining like, well, that kid doesn't have Internet or you can't do this or you can't do that. We sort of said, let's just make it a kind of a flow of technology and a flow of information um, I really, I do think that our teachers have been forced to engage and instruct on a platform we should have been preparing kids for anyway, uh, more of the college platform, or I always say you have to prepare kids for a choice, right? They can choose to enter the workforce, they can choose to go to tech school, uh, college, whatever they want to do. But I think some of the tech pieces are missing for rural kids to always say that they do have a viable choice. So that's one blessing. I feel like even as a mother, I'm just thrilled that they're just really after it. I mean, they, they're doing a lot more digitally. They can video, they're watching, you know, teachers on video, blended flipped classroom approaches that I think are meaning. I literally had my seventh grade son go back and look at um, information and help himself, you know, during some homework because he had access to instruction that would have been just gone had it not been in his Google classroom. So just kind of some cool things there, I would say more in educational instruction. My grand worry, though, is how many of our more experienced teachers might go and say, you know, I'm going to retire. This is tough. Or our brand new teachers of like, yeah, this was not what I signed up for. So I'm trying to just encourage both ends of this spectrum to say, you know, stay with it and see what we learn from these. It won't be like this forever, but I do think there are some COVID keepers. Awesome. I talk fast and a lot, Kirk. Sorry. Um, 
you alluded to a couple of times the ideas that you've implemented that came from your kids. So I'm using that as your students. <laughs> I'm using that as the bridge into your student leadership advisory council and what that group, how it evolved, what they do and what you're building statewide. Awesome. Well, something student leadership is something I'm really pa- passionate about because I think it's our job as edu- educators to prepare and empower kids to be the next citizen. So it's not just about what they hear in their homes or how they can navigate. And so um, it started in Bethune for me because we always elected class officials, like we'd have a cl- senior class par- president, but they did nothing. And it was just sort of a title. So I thought, well, I'm going to teach them how to do class meetings. That's what we're going to do first. Like, how do we really get everybody's voice in? And so it started sort of small there. And then we evolved into a model of can we root locally, live globally? And that's something, a perspective that I think I was, um, I just brought a different sort of tenor to Bethune because I was raised a lot of my time. I went to Rose Hill Elementary and Kearney Middle School in Commerce City, Colorado, and I was a minority. Most of my friends spoke Spanish. Um, and to, in fact, to this day, most of the people say, when did you learn so much Spanish? And I'm like, I don't know, second grade. Like <laughs> it was with my people. So um, I just told the kids, you know, we really need to figure out a way to just go wherever we're called to go. Or are there jobs that they maybe don't know about in rural or and truthfully, we've just been very blessed for partnerships because Michelle undersells herself, but the Rural Alliance has always been a wonderful partner, um, CASB. And then, of course, I was able to win sort of a ear from some great legislative people. I mean, Senator Todd was inspirational and inspiring for our work and Rep Becker, Senator Sonnenberg. We've just been able to partner with people um, I always say Mr. Wilson, just to tease him, <laughs> sorry. Um, they they were just great about saying, well, bring your kids up. Let's show them how, you know, I'll never forget Jane Urschel saying, come bring them up and show them how the sausage is made. Let's get them in the capital and get them going. And I think just empowering you to say, we will listen and you have to have an educated response to things is really good. So we started with the mindset of, could they understand local governance from their classroom to their school board to local officials like county officials, um, district court judge, they've watched everything, um, those sort sorts of things. And so the challenge is a little bit different here in, in our Valley school district, because I wanted to blend Caliche and Sterling. I wanted them to have representation from both. And then of course our restrictions on how we can meet and interact, but that's really their mission is to inform policy. And so, um, with the support of my colleagues, I just said, Hey, you know, there's things like Colorado Youth Congress that are meeting and have a lot of attention from our lobbying groups. And there's really no rural kids on there. There's one that I've seen on there. And so I just thought, okay, so let's bridge. Let's take some rural perspective and try to help people hear voices from all. And it also is built on a campaign of be good humans. I know I get challenged sometimes because they feel like that's not specific enough, but that was my approach as an administrator to teaching tolerance was I don't want to dive into every sort of thing that kids can do wrong. I would rather dive into like, you just need to be a really great person. And this is how you do it. You treat people with respect. You work really hard, you know, so they've defined what it means to be a good human from work ethic to, um, you know, community service around the seven mindsets really from that text. So I hope that makes sense, but it seems sort of, I don't know. A lot of people will say, well, kids don't need an opinion. And I disagree with that. I think they're in the trenches, they're living it. And if we want them to be really great voters, then we should teach them at a younger age, how to do research, how to be mindful, how to care about their neighbor, um, those kinds of things. And I brought this up this morning to the, I always say the guys, even though we're not all guys. So I'm sorry. When I say guys, it's me, the superintendents, but 
you know, it was an interesting conversation because one of our student leaders posed the question of why do we hate each other just because we play each other? And I thought that was great. This kid, Cooper, he's doing some amazing things here. And so I always tell them, yeah, they have to pose a thoughtful question, like something that's going to sort of trigger a debate or conversation. And that was such a touching conversation last night because they're like, you're right. Oh, we don't know why. You know, we just, you know, got smashed by you on Saturday. So now I don't like you or, you know, those kinds of things. So I thought that was a step, a huge piece of evidence in the right direction that we can play each other. We can battle like mad. We can have school pride. But in the end, we all care about each other because we're still we're still citizens here and rural kids. So. I get kind of weepy at those things because I always think, okay, this is what, where it's at, what we should be doing. Um, but this same kid that posed that thought, I always call them thought-provoking questions because I'll be honest with you, I tease kids all the time that your your thoughts aren't deep enough for me to care. You know, give me some research, give me some feedback, give me something that I want to engage in and, and they'll get mad. The, and now they'll literally say to you, do you think this is deep enough for you to listen and I'm like, I don't know, send me an email and let me read it and then I'll, then we'll decide. So he does the work, but this same kid, is meeting, launching an advisory program, working with our psychologists to literally be a peer leader for an at-risk, a student that is has at-risk behaviors and actually is GT. So he's twice exceptional. And this student's also a GT student and advocating for rights of GT kids. And I was like, how about we just pair you up? At 45 minutes every Friday, those kids meet and visit and, and encourage. They play a game. Right now they're coding a robot. Um, we just put a little money behind it and changed that kid's whole trajectory, I think, as a fourth grader. So having a 10th grader partner with a fourth grader. So we're doing some cool things like that, too. It's not just sit around and talk. We're trying to be in the trenches in action. I'll pause. I really do talk a lot. So you'll have to, like, wave your arms or something. <laughs> Give us technology. This is all about, this is all about you. Um, <laughs> and it is just amazing how you meet the kids where they are and then through your relationships with them, you like inspire and empower them to really grow and fly. And I've seen it and now I'm getting weepy because it's amazing. <laughs> it's worth it. I'm telling you, the evidence is there that if somebody will just build relationships with them, they'll, they will do those things. So thank you guys for doing that too, because it's definitely nice to call a friend and say, Hey, these kids need encouraged or need some leadership models and you guys jump on. So I'm grateful for that. Super fun. Yeah, that's amazing. Sorry, Danielle, go ahead. I've been no, I was just going to ask you, Shyla, from a leadership perspective and speaking of working really hard, um, this year has been, well, going into this um, school year, it has been like no other. Um, what takeaways do you have or what insights can you share about um, being a school leader, your leadership style, maybe how you've had to adapt um, transitioning into a different district and what advice can you share with our up and coming leaders? Wow. There's a lot of questions, Danielle, on that no. one. <laughs> um, well, I think one thing that's been a struggle for me personally in switching jobs is I am a true believer in building relationships, no matter if you don't agree or, you know, if you can just care about people. And I think COVID's made that difficult to show that side as leaders. Um, truthfully, I'm a little saddened by just our human capacity through all of this to love each other and to care about one another's sort of road to hoe. And it is difficult because like I've shared, tried to share in our community, you know, we've contacted three lawyers, what's our liability. And it's pretty simple that they could, if this ever went to litigation, we could be personally liable. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I have very little to lose even in trying to protect something. And I just feel like, how do you balance that? Like not being too restrictive, but also 
you know, caring about all views. So I think for the most part, I don't know if it's a strength of mine because sometimes it causes me havoc, but I think I'm overly transparent. Like I'm pretty direct and I try to make myself very available. So like in my role, this actually started in Bethune when we were doing the mill levy override, I would jump on zoom and let community members jump on with me. I'd record it. And I still do that. And I put it out on our website. Um, I try to talk about like hot button issues for that week, just trying to push as much of the narrative as I can, because people will make it up in the lack of information. So I think that's really important is just to be honest. I think sometimes we hesitate or we shy away from conflict. And this has been a year full of conflict. It's been difficult. I, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, and it's difficult because it's so many different views. And it's not just your politics. It's your belief in your health. It's belief in there's just so many things that people are asking us to navigate. So I would say to any leader is to just to be as truthful as possible and be available as possible and stay with it. This, this too shall pass. And I really think we're going to learn some great lessons I already have learned some really good lessons out of it. And I'm kind of the mindset. If you didn't force me to have a shakeup once in a while, would I change? And so that's the way I'm looking at it is like, how did this shakeup make me a better educator or better advocate? And, um, I think that's, that's frustrating, but if, being willing to just say you don't have all the answers, you're doing the best you can every single day, I think is better than just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have good advice this year. I really am saddened about how hard it's been for everybody, including you guys. Everybody's, it's hard for everybody. Well, Shyla, thank you so much for your leadership and vision and, and what you do for your kids in Northeast Colorado. It's, it's very impressive and very inspiring to, to hear what you do. And we know in our, our interactions with you, what a difference that you make for your community. So thank you so much for spending time with us and telling us your story about what's happening in Valley School District and Sterling. So thank you so much for what you're doing. We appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me.